And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. If I were to ask you guys, everybody in here, to just make a list of the sin that causes you the most trouble, okay? I'd probably get many responses, you know, such as anger, lust, lying, greed, materialism. I may get, might get a few entries for jealousy, hatred, gossip, laziness, slothfulness. Maybe I'd get one or two for gluttony. How many would... I go for that sometimes. I mean, you've seen how much... They have two things at the camp yesterday. Pizza and birthday, and, and birthday cake. So I have my fair share of both. How many would list pride as the most difficult sin that you battle every day. It ought to be at the top of our list simply because it is the root of virtually every other sin. If you get angry, and when I realized this a few years ago, I was going, oh, it was just a light bulb. Went on. And it's so, so simple. If you get angry, it's because you want your way and you didn't get your way. That's why you get mad. That's why you get angry. Truth is, you don't like how God is dealing with you in the moment. You think you could do a better job. And the root of such anger is pride. If you lust, it's because you imagine that you are so sexy that that woman over there would want to give herself to you to satisfy yourself without a committed, loving relationship. You want to use her, not love her. Pride is at the root of such sin. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis refers to pride as the great sin. Now, after he mentions that pride was, you know, behind uh, uh, the devil's downfall, he says, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Let that sink in. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. He contends that pride is a sin that we are very much aware of, and we don't like it when we see it in other people, but we're rarely aware of it in ourselves. Paul brings, brings up pride in verse 37 here. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? Boasting, pride. And that leads to some questions. Why does he bring up boasting here? Why does he ask this string of other questions? Why didn't he just quit while he was ahead talking about justification there in verse 26? Before I address those questions, I want to give you just a brief overview kind of of our verses this morning, 27 through 31. Most commentators understand Paul to be addressing really three issues here. One, justification by faith alone excludes all boasting. And number two, the fact that there is one God means that there is one way of salvation, which is justification by faith alone, and it is for all people. And number three, justification by uh, faith alone does not nullify the law, rather it establishes it. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slightly different from the majority and suggest that the second point that I just mentioned is really a continuation of the subject of boasting. He's aiming it at, at the religious, religiously proud Jew. So that Paul here is really saying two main things. Number one, justification by faith alone takes away all grounds for boasting. And it's the only doctrine that truly establishes God's law. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, 
We ask for your spirit to be here among us, Father, to open our eyes, to uh, take the wax out of our ears, to take the hardness of our heart away, that we can see what Paul is talking about here and what it means to be justified by faith. So speak that truth into our hearts. Awaken us, Father, to this truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 27 and 28, Paul contends that justification by faith alone, it takes away all the grounds of boasting when it comes to keeping the law for salvation. In other words, I'm saved because of, you know, something I did. In 29 and 30, he shows that justification by faith alone takes away any grounds of boasting about one's religious rituals as a basis for uh, salvation. And then in 31, he anticipates the question that the Jews in the crowd would be asking, then, then does justification by faith nullify God's law? Does it do away with God's law? Why do we need God's law if you're justified by faith? And Paul says, may it never be. On the contrary, we actually establish the law. Let's come back to that question. Why does Paul bring up boasting and these other issues here? Well, first we have to understand that Paul is still addressing religious Jews. All the way back in verse 17, Paul really took direct aim at the Jews. And he said, but if you bear the name Jew, okay, and rely upon the law and boast in God. So he's talking about pride and boasting way back in chapter 2, verse 17. He goes on to hit them with their religious hypocrisy. Then in verse 23, he asks, You who boast in the law, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? And he's going to go on to deal further with boasting in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So why does Paul really hammer on this theme? I think it's because Paul knew both from personal experience and from the Scriptures just how deeply embodied in our fallen hearts is the pride that wants to take some of the credit for our own salvation. Even if we acknowledge that God is the primary agent in our salvation, we're still prone to claim that we had something to do with it so that we can boast. We like boasting. It's in our nature. How many know who Stacy King is? Does that name mean anything to anybody? You'd have to be a real, a really good base, uh, excuse me, basketball enthusiast to know. Stacy King played with Michael Jordan when he when Jordan was at his peak. And one night, uh, Michael Jordan scored 69 points, and King scored one. In the interviews by the reporters afterwards, King said, Yeah, I'll always remember this as night as me and Michael Jordan teamed up to score 70 points. <laughs> and that's the response he was supposed to get. Everybody knew he was joking. But do you understand, we're often serious when we want to take some of the credit, even if it's just a little bit, for our own salvation. Uh, God must have seen something in me, right? Uh, we can even boast in our faith as if it's something that we generated or something that we were smart enough, you know, had enough discernment on our own to, to believe. So Paul follows up his argument that we are justified by faith as a gift from God by underscoring these important implications of that crucial doctrine. And if we understand this doctrine correctly... It really does deflate all of our pride, and it does not nullify God's law. In fact, it establishes it. 
So number one, justification by faith alone takes away all grounds of boasting about keeping the law for salvation. Verse 30, uh, 27 and 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. That's a, that's a, that's a declarative sentence, sentence, uh, statement right there. It's excluded. Boasting is excluded. Then he asked, by what kind of law? By a law of works? That's the only law that the Jews knew, to be honest with you. Paul says, no, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The Jews boasted in the law. We've seen that. The Pharisees especially prided themselves in keeping the law. They fasted. They prayed at the required times. They observed the, the Sabbath. They carefully washed themselves according to the prescribed rituals and traditions. And they even tithed their table spices. But Jesus confronted them with the defilement of their hearts. If you were to look at them from the outside, they looked squeaky clean. But they weren't. Neither are we. Paul himself, before his conversion, uh, he took great pride in his religious, his Jewish religious credentials and good works. In Galatians 1.14, he says that he was advancing in Judaism more than many of his contemporaries. C.S. Lewis notes that competition is a serious source of pride. <laughs> around here we have, you know, well, I don't know. Around here we may have as many gators as we have. Well, their fan club is, is the biggest here. And it's like a state. There's a bunch of people not from here. But when you, when you scream for FSU or gators, whoever you scream for, that's pride-based, is it not? It really is. Uh, we glory in being better than others at whatever we're talking about. In Philippians 3, 5, and 6, Paul rattles off the list that he once took great pride in. He says that he was circumcised the eighth day. That's according to the law. He was of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. Now, you would have to be a Jew to understand that, but Pharisees, they took the law seriously. As to zeal, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But he goes on to say that when he met Jesus, he counted all of those things that, that, we, that I just listed to be as rubbish. Now, do you know what the Greek word for that is, rubbish? It's skubala. You've probably seen the mupper sticker, skubala happens. Uh, that's the word. I'll, if you don't understand, talk to me afterwards. <sighs> yeah. Then he goes on to add about setting those things, counting them as rubbish. And he says, and may be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Man, that's the exact same point that Paul is hammering home in our text this morning. If we are justified by faith alone, apart from any human works, then we have absolutely no grounds for boasting. We can't boast in our morality as the reason for why we are right with God. Because even if we were outwardly moral, <laughs> our hearts are corrupt. 
Jesus' words in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees, they apply to us as well. It says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. Right? Somebody's got the pressure washed into them. They look fabulous, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even if we're outwardly moral, it will not put us right with God because He sees and knows our corrupt hearts. Neither can we boast in our religious observance as a means of salvation. The Bible's clear that God sees through such outward rituals and He looks on our hearts. You can go to church every week. Uh, Lori and Riley, I boasted on you this morning. Uh, Donna, okay, says... Don't Riley and Lori, she's visiting with us with, the, with Shay and visiting with, with us this morning. And, and she says, don't Riley and Lori Harvey, don't they? I said, yeah, they sit right here. I said, and, and this is what I said, I, you know, I, I haven't seen them yet, but they're here 99 times out of 100. So I bet they're here. And sure enough, there they are. All right. Um, so you can go to church every week is my point. You can be baptized. You can partake, partake of communion. But none of those things earns you points towards your salvation. None of those practices qualify you as a better candidate for salvation. The same is true of spiritual knowledge. It's helpful to read and study the Bible and to understand its doctrines and its moral precepts. It's good to study the original languages of, of the Bible so that your knowledge will be more accurate. But none of those things will get you right with God apart from faith in Christ. In fact, some even turn faith itself into a work and they boast about their faith as if they believed in Christ all on their own apart from His grace. If faith is something that fallen sinners can exercise on their own apart from God's granting it as a free gift, then those sinners will boast in their faith. After all, what makes me different from unbelievers? Well, I believed in Christ and they didn't. But do you ever ask the question, why did I believe? If I claim any credit for that, Paul says I'm boasting in my salvation. Back in chapter 3, verse 11, he states, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. That's zero. Jesus said in John 6, first in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Then again in 65, No one can come to me unless it has been granted him, of, uh, granted him from the Father. So saving faith isn't something that we can provide for ourselves and, and thus boast in. It's a gracious, undeserved gift from God so that we cannot boast. But what does Paul mean in verse 27 when he says that boasting is excluded by a law of faith? What is this law of faith? Some say that Paul means that the law of Moses, rightly interpreted, rightly understood, is a law that teaches righteousness by faith. There might be some validity in that. But in the context of our passage and what came before, Paul is contrasting the righteousness that comes through faith with the Mosaic Law. He's looking at those two things. And that leads to the natural question there in verse 31. Do we then nullify the law if we're exalting faith here? Does that do away with the law? 
So it's really better to understand Paul here is making kind of a play on words when he refers to the law of faith. He's saying it's not the law of Moses which required works that excludes boasting. Rather, it's the new law of faith apart from works that excludes boasting. In verse 28, Paul explains his point of 27. He says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Right standing with God, justification, it's not something that we earn by doing good works. Rather, it's something that we received as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Now, instead of the words apart from the law, we can rightly say that we are justified by faith alone. That, that was one of the battle cries of the Reformation. This raises another you know, important question. Is Paul here at odds with James in James 2.24? In that verse, James writes, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, the issue... Like I said, this was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. It remains a major divide today between uh, Protestant understanding of the gospel uh, versus the Roman Catholic view. Bible-believing Protestants, they affirm with the Reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin, that we are justified by faith alone, apart from any works. The Roman Catholic Church contends that we are justified by faith plus our works. And that seems to be what James is affirming here. When we study James, I dealt with this uh, crucial question. And it's crucial uh, because the way we are saved hinges on the answer to this question. But, but here I'm going to keep it brief. First, James and Paul both affirm that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Each man was a addressing a different problem. James was looking at those who professed to have faith in Christ, but their lives were void of any works. James claimed that that sort of faith was not genuine and it doesn't save anyone. Gen uh, genuine saving faith always results in a life of good works, and Paul would certainly concur with that. No one is saved by a faith that is a mere mental agreement. The faith that justifies is an obedient faith. But Paul, in Romans and in Galatians, which is where he deals with this issue, he was writing the, to those who taught that we must add to our works or add our works to faith in Christ in order to be justified. The Judaizers is what we like to call them. They claimed that they believed in Christ, but they insisted that Gentiles who believe in Christ must add circumcision and must keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. In Galatians, Paul called that distorted gospel anathema. He cursed it twice. He, focused, he accused these false teachers of emphasizing these things so that they could boast in their flesh. At the end of Galatians in verse four, uh, 6.14, Paul says, If you want to boast, boast only in the cross. Now before we leave this point, I want you to make sure that you have applied it personally. Have you abandoned all attempts to earn right standing with God by your good works? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone who shed His blood to pay the penalty that you deserve because of your sin? 
is your boast completely in the Lord who chose you and saved you in spite of yourself. Well, number two, justification by faith alone takes away any grounds of boasting about one's religious rituals as a basis or means of salvation. In 29 and 30, he says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circum circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Paul is really zeroing in on the Jews here. He takes the creed that was central for all Jews from Deuteronomy 6.4. Here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Paul argues if God is one, then He must be God not only of the Jews but of the Gentiles also. And if He is one, it, it, it's likely, isn't it, that, that He would only have one means of salvation for all people. Since as we have shown that we are justified by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law, this must apply equally to both Jews and Gentiles. So God justifies people, all people, through faith alone. Now the Old Testament clearly proclaimed that the God of Israel is the Lord of all the nations. So Paul is arguing here that justification by faith means that there is only one way of salvation for all people. But also, as I said, it seems to me that Paul is still confronting the tendency of the religious Jews to boast in their religion, especially in their rituals. And, of course, circumcision was the epitome to them of that ritual. Paul is going to go on to show in chapter 4 that God justified Abraham before he was circumcised. So justification cannot be based on compliance with that religious ritual. It's not going to get it done. If God justified the yet uncircumcised father of the Jewish nation by faith, then it follows that he also justifies the uncircumcised Gentiles by faith. You can't take pride in any religious rituals. And again, let's kind of apply that. If you come from a religious background, don't trust in church membership, baptism, or communion for your salvation. You trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you don't come from a religious background, that might be a good thing. You don't need to join the church you don't need to be baptized or partake of communion or go through any other religious ritual to get right with God. In fact, doing those things to earn right standing with God would actually fill you with pride. And we know pride actually keeps us from God. Rather, laying aside all of your good works and your religious rituals, put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to all who believe. But if a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law, and if a sinner can be justified by faith apart from any religious rituals, then what's the purpose of the law? Are, are we nullifying the law? Paul anticipates and he answers that question. So number three, justification by faith alone does not nullify the law. It actually establishes it. Paul says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is not an easy verse to interpret, and every interpreter necessarily reads this verse through the lens 
of his own view of how the law relates to believers in Christ. It has to do with how much continuity versus discontinuity there is between the Old and the New Covenant. Now, there are quite a few verses that seemingly support the ongoing validity and benefit of the law. And there are other verses that say that we are no longer under the law, and they seem to speak kind of negatively about the law. So, don't think for a second that I have all the answers. I don't. For the sake of brevity and clarity, I'm not going to give you the various inter interpretations of how we establish the law through faith. I'm, I'm going to follow James Boyce, okay? He's a, he's a, uh, a commentator. Um, I'm going to suggest three ways from the context that justification by faith actually establishes or upholds the law. First, Justification by faith establishes the law by showing that it's impossible to attain right standing with God by keeping the law. Paul addressed this back in verse 20. He says, because, the works, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of the sin. You understand that the law recurs, uh, requires perfect obedience to every commandment at all times <laughs> not only externally but in the heart as well so if anyone is going to be saved it cannot be by keeping the law the law's purpose is not to save us paul talks about this in galatians chapter 3 he says the law is actually a tutor that leads us to christ why because we fail over and over and over again in the law. We know the law and we keep failing. We keep sinning. And it drives us to Christ because we realize that, that we're not holy and He is. So the law's purpose is not to save us. The law actually shows us our sin so that we will despair of saving ourselves by our works. And in this way, the doctrine of justification by faith, it establishes or upholds the law. The law is doing what it's supposed to. Second, justification by faith establishes the law by showing that the punishment which the law demanded has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This goes back to verse 25 where uh, Paul refers to Jesus Christ as the one whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith. We talked about this last week. By His death, if we trust in Him, Jesus satisfied, satisfied God's just penalty for our sin, which was death and which we deserved. Well, third, justification by faith establishes the law by showing that God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us so that we meet, that we meet um, the law's righteous demand in Christ. Now, as we've seen, justification means that God declares us righteous, declares us just. But He just doesn't do this arbitrarily. No, Jesus fulfilled the righteous demands of the law on our behalf. So the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, that has always been under attack. And it's under attack at the present time. How do we know whether it's the true gospel or not? Well, one test of true doctrine is that it humbles our pride and it exalts God in His grace. Conversely, 
False doctrine always lifts up man and pulls God down many times to the point where we can be our own Savior. We don't need Jesus to die for us. Justification by faith alone, it excludes all boasting, except, as Paul says, for boasting in Christ and Him crucified. It doesn't allow me to say, I teamed up with God or I teamed up with Jesus to score 70 points. No, he scored all of the points. God justifies sinners totally on the merits of Jesus Christ when they abandon their own works and then trust in him alone. That is the true gospel. Believe in it. Stand firm in it and proclaim it to others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we are grateful for the gift of the gospel. Father, through it, we have eternal life. We thank you for Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection that we might have that eternal life. Father, if there's anybody in here this morning that does not know your son Jesus as Lord and Savior, pray that you would do what you have to do, Father, that process of regeneration to open their eyes to see the truth that they do, in fact, need a Savior. Their works will never be good enough, Father. We depend on you. I do that work in our hearts and we'll give you praise and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're just going to have a song of invitation, give you a chance to respond. Maybe throughout the sermon, through the scripture reading, the, the Spirit has spoken to you and you realize, yeah, I've never come to Jesus that way. I've come to church. I've even been baptized. I've partaken of communion. But I've never given my life to Christ. I've never trusted in Him alone. And that's what salvation is. God will change your heart immediately. You'll become a child of His. I encourage you this morning, if you do not know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did on the cross, do that this morning. Paul urges us to do that. He says, come, today is the day of salvation. Do not put it off. If you're a believer, I hope that you learn. We still have pride, don't we? <laughs> it's very much alive even in believers and so we need to have this understanding just to kind of keep it in check and, and mates spouses uh, I would encourage you if you see pride in your spouse like I said it's hard to see in ourselves spouses lovingly share that with your spouse if you see pride in them I got two up here looking at each other just laughing I'm going oh okay that must be a regular thing with them I don't know I'm just saying, look, we don't see it in ourselves. It's hard to see. Others see it immediately. All right, just, just be aware. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.